0: uh, Do you ever wish you could change the way you look? Uh, Or would you ever consider cosmetic surgery? Uh, Defined as surgery designed to improve your appearance. And uh, I know more and more people are doing it. Apparently somewhere in the region of 32,000 people in Britain went under the knife in 2007. But before you actually go there, uh, could I... Maybe save you a lot of pain, a lot of heartache and a lot of money by suggesting an alternative option, a different way to actually change your appearance. Listen to the advice from the searcher Solomon. And this comes in the first verse of Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 8. Now we are going to work our way through, although not systematically so to speak, uh, chapter 7 and 8. We're going to cover a lot of ground Stephen has left me lots and lots of time, uh, but I, I don't intend to go right up to 8 o'clock, but I, I really have lots to cover. But let's just look at this first verse from chapter 8. Who is like the wise man? Who knows the explanation of things? Then get this. Wisdom brightens a man's face and changes its hard appearance. And so this evening, in the sort of first half, or, or in chapter 7, Uh, the first half of this meaningless message, question mark, we're going to look at how living wisely can actually change your appearance, can radically alter the way you look. Now, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1, right through to the first verse of chapter 8, I will admit contains a whole bunch of complex verses. Really, really complex verses. Verses, But the connecting and the overall theme of those verses is wisdom. And so what I really want to do tonight is explore, in the first half, the path to wise living. And to begin with, what the searcher seems to be encouraging us to do is to value the tough side of life. And that's hard. And in the first few verses of chapter 7, he effectively says something along these lines, and this sounds slightly ridiculous... Death is better than life. Fasting is better than feasting. Sorrow is better than laughter. Mourning is better than pleasure. And rebuke is better than flattery. And that seems like the words of a killjoy. And yet he's not. Because there's one definite discovery we've made during this journey. That Solomon is simply urging us. Imploring us to be realistic about life. Because what he actually says here is that rubbish happens. Bad things do happen. But rather than try to escape the difficulties of life, rather than try to run away from the hard things, the searcher is actually keen that we would reflect on them, we would learn from them, and we would find wisdom via them. In fact, and I think this is something we all know, We may not value the sorrows and the pains and the bereavements and the disappointments of life. But it's often through and in those situations that we learn the most and we grow the most. Spurgeon said this. I am afraid that all the grace I have gotten out of my comfortable and easy times and happy hours might almost lie on a penny. But the good that I have received from my sorrows and pains and griefs is altogether incalculable. And I know that if if we were writing the script for our own lives, it would probably be very different. Blissful, carefree living would be the order of the day. But as we all know, that's not life in the real world. And unfortunately, or maybe it's fortunately, we don't live on Fantasy Island. Rubbish does happen. And I'm so aware that sitting in a church like this with this number of people, that there will be people here who are going through tough times in their lives. Or maybe you're not going through them personally, but you know someone who is. In difficult and frustrating circumstances, they do come crashing into our lives. But what wisdom does is wisdom calls us to reflect on those times and to accept them, and that's hard. But also to discover, well, what can we learn through this? What are the valuable lessons that we're being taught? And I know that is easier said than done, but when you think about it, what is the alternative? Because as I say, tough times are inevitable. So what is the alternative perspective? How do you process pain and bereavement? And disappointment. How do you get through it? How do you make any sense of it? Well, what the searcher is saying is, value the tough side of life. Because the tough side of life is a life giver, it's a wisdom provider, and it's actually a face changer. Secondly, the searcher then warns us, and I know I'm really skimming this, but the searcher then warns us to avoid four temptations. Four temptations that attempt to trip us up and cause us to live anything but wise lives. And here they are. The first one is found in verse 7. It's extortion. And the searcher writes, extortion turns a wise man into a fool and a bribe corrupts the heart. And you know, you don't have to look very far to discover that corruption is alive and well. In many aspects of 21st century society. Backhanders, bribes favours, they're all common practice in the world of politics, the world of business and that's because they work. Corruption actually works. People can and have bought their way to positions of influence via backhanders and bribes and favours. They've secured deals, they've increased their bank balance, they've gathered additional assets via this method, but although they might work, that's not the issue. Or at least it shouldn't be. The fact is, it's not clever to live your life that way. It's not wise. You will get found out. And whenever you do get found out, you'll look foolish. The whole MP's expenses thing at the moment. Maybe rings here. The second temptation is impatience. Look at verse 8. The end of a matter is better than the beginning. And patience is better than pride. I know you would agree with me in saying that patience is in short supply these days. We're not a very patient people. Immediate results, instant fame, overnight success are all the order of the day, and therefore concepts or ideas such as perseverance and persistence and endurance they are increasingly unpopular in our context or in a world that says, "I want it all and I want it now." To quote a song. But the fact is that almost anything in life that is worthwhile takes time to develop. So don't buy into the spirit of the age. Be wise. Learn patience. The third temptation he highlights is anger. Look at verse 9. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit for anger resides in the lap of fools. The problem with anger is that it may give you the satisfaction of a quick emotional outburst. And it often does. But it does very little and probably nothing in most cases to change the situation for the better. And all anger does is it tends to make things worse. And it leaves behind it a trail of damaged, hurt and annoyed people in its wake. So what the searcher is saying is a wise person learns to control his temper. Otherwise your temper will control you. And therefore, you will be foolish. And finally, and this one's a bit strange, verse 10, nostalgia. Look at verse 10. Do not say, Why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Don't live in the past and don't hanker after it. Phrases like, It didn't used to be like this, or, If only it was like how it used to be. They're actually incredibly unhelpful phrases. There may be an element of truth in them. Not denying that. But the danger is that you end up escaping the realities of the present world in order to holiday in history. As Derek Tidbull provocatively states. And the problem is, by looking back, we tend to look back, don't we, through rose-coloured spectacles, rose-tinted spectacles, and we press the selective memory recall button, and so we highlight the good, and we filter out, and we forget the bad. And the searcher here isn't suggesting that you dismiss the past, or that you ignore it, you write it off, because that would be crazy. But what he is saying, or what wisdom is saying, is you've got to learn from it. You've got to deal with it, and you've got to move on. So first of all, value the tough side of life. Avoid four temptations. And then thirdly, where he goes is he encourages us to embrace the benefits or the advantages of wisdom. And he lists three for us here. To start with, what he says in verse 13 is that wisdom provides shelter. Listen to verse 13. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this, that wisdom preserves the life of its possessor. You know, we all know the saying with regard to money that we should save for a rainy day. Save just for the potential, for the potential of things going wrong. Well, wisdom, it seems, according to the searcher, has got exactly the same ability. Wisdom protects Wisdom can be stored up for a rainy day. Wisdom is a shelter. It's a preservative that whenever the dark clouds descend, whenever the storms of life blow, wisdom, if you've stored it up, will enable you to cope. It will enable you to deal with the harsh realities of life. So wisdom provides shelter. Secondly, he says, Wisdom provides perspective. Now, this runs from verses 13 right down to 18. And in verses 13, he talks about a perspective on ordinary life, so to speak. Do you know, life is a complete riddle? And that's something we're going to come back to in a moment. And so the searcher asks this question. It's a great question. Who can straighten out what God has made crooked? Who can straighten out what God has made crooked? You know, there are aspects of life, moments of life, events of life that make no sense from where I'm standing. No sense from your perspective. But again, what the searcher is saying listen, welcome to the real world. Everything isn't straight, everything isn't as we hope it would be. Things are crooked, things are out of shape. It's like that, it's just the way it is, to quote another popular song. I'm not going to be able to straighten it all out. I've got to accept that life is the way it is, but here's the critical discovery. Have a look at it. Consider, the searcher says, what God has done. In other words, life is not the outworking of blind fate, it's not about random chance. It's not this way, through those methods. There is a sovereign God over all things, in control of all things, and wisdom actually provides that perspective. Am I going to adopt God's perspective to the crooked things in life or not? God has made the sunny days, but he remains faithful through the rainy ones as well. So when times are good, be happy. And when times are not so good, consider what verse 14 says, that God has made the one as well as the other. God is in. And God can use times of success and times of failure, times of health, times of sickness, times of promotion and times of unemployment. Again, it's a bitter pill to swallow. But all the searcher is saying is, listen, this is the reality of life in the real world but you need to get God's perspective on it. It's not an easy perspective to grasp, but wisdom encourages us to trace God's hand in it all. Or I think as the old hymn says, to trace the rainbow through the rain. The next few verses offer then an interesting perspective, not just on ordinary life, so to speak, but on the spiritual life. And verse 16 is a, is a troubling verse. Because what Solomon seems to be saying is, listen, don't be too Christian. Don't be, don't be over-righteous. Do you know, we're all familiar with that saying, he's so heavenly-minded, he's no earthly use. Well, I think there's some connection with that sentiment in these verses. Do you know, there are some people, and, and I hope this doesn't come across too strong, there are some people who over-spiritualise everything. They live with their heads in the clouds. And they seem slightly disconnected from the real world. And therefore you wonder, what on earth have they actually got to offer this world? But at the same time, what Solomon says is, listen, although that is one extreme, I don't want you to live just as you please. I don't want you to entertain sin. I don't want you to choose wickedness, verse 17. And so the solution he says to both extremes is this, it's fear. Which again is an odd thing to say. Look at the end of verse 18. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. Do you know the importance of fearing God is just a constant theme in the Old Testament wisdom literature. It, it crops up time and time again. And one of the benefits that is highlighted here in this context is that fearing God will ensure that you live a balanced spiritual life it will save you from extremes and so wisdom provides shelter it provides a perspective on ordinary life it provides a perspective on the spiritual life and thirdly wisdom provides power look at verse 19 wisdom makes one man wise or makes one wise man more powerful than 10 rulers in a city Wisdom provides you with an inner strength. An inner strength so that you can face up to the tough side of life. An inner strength so you can deal with the temptations that come your way. Those four that we highlighted amongst others. So having dealt with these three advantages of wisdom, the searcher then, in, in typical fashion, actually then takes a dose of reality pills. And he points out, that although all of this makes so much sense, that wisdom and right living are great, he then goes on to say, and this is hard. And this is why this book is so difficult. Because what he then goes on to say is, do you know something, righteousness and wisdom are hard to find. They're elusive. And so in verse 20, here's what he says, there isn't a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Which is a fair point. And later on, look at verse 29. This is, this is interesting. He finds one upright man in a thousand, but he doesn't find a single righteous woman for miles. Now, I'm not even going to attempt to comment on that discovery. Okay? But all he's saying is, listen, righteousness is elusive. But so is wisdom. Because look at verses 23 and 24. Here's what he writes. I am determined to be wise. And then what does he say? But it's beyond me. Whether wisdom, whatever wisdom may be, it is far off and it's most profound, and then he asks the question, "Who can discover it?" And the, st- the searcher seems to be struggling to get his head around this. But what he does know for definite is that wisdom changes your appearance. Despite its elusive quality, despite the fact that it's hard to find, wisdom will brighten your face. And it will change the way you look. Now let me just say something as an aside. Because almost if you just left it at that. You you could think, well hang on a minute. But just as an aside. Although it's a significant aside. Years later. Years after. As a result of Jesus. Paul was able to declare. In 1 Corinthians one thirty, You are in Jesus Christ. Writing to us as Christians. Who has become for us. Wisdom from God. You see, we can know righteousness. And we can know wisdom. But not by ourselves. Only as we embrace and provided we embrace Jesus. But that's for another time. Now a few moments ago I said that life is a riddle. And as we move into the second half of this and as we move into chapter 8, we actually find the searcher confronting four areas of life that can often seem like a riddle. And here are the four areas. Now, as I say, I'm not touching on everything in these chapters. Please don't, don't pull me up on that afterwards. But here are certainly four areas of life that are a riddle. The future, death, destiny, and the present. Future. Wouldn't it be great if somehow you knew exactly what was going to happen tomorrow? Like, imagine knowing which numbers were... No, let's not go there. Honestly. Society is obsessed with trying to discover the future. Horoscopes writers abound. Fortune tellers, tea leaf readers, crystal ball gazers. They are all enjoying growing popularity in the third millennium. There is a real desire to be able to see into the future. But despite our desire to know the future, the fact is this. Tomorrow is a mystery. Look at Ecclesiastes 8, 7. Since no man knows the future, who can tell him what is to come? None of us knows what these next 24 hours hold. We can't avoid what we don't know is going to happen. The bottom line, according to the writer of this Old Testament book... His life is uncertain. There are no guarantees. You can't even presume you will have a tomorrow. As he writes elsewhere in the book of Proverbs, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. But although no man knows the future, here's the hope we have, and I want to try to sow some hope throughout this. But here's the hope we have. God knows the future. He knows every intricate detail of your tomorrow's schedule. Even before you speak a word, God knows what you're going to say, according to Psalm 139. He knows what time your feet will hit the floor in the morning, what time your head will hit the pillow tomorrow night. He knows when I rise, he knows when I lie down, to quote Psalm 139 again. And nothing that happens in between your waking and your sleeping is going to catch God by surprise. But here's the challenge. If no man knows the future, but God does, doesn't it make sense to consider what God has said will happen in the future? And an interesting thing to just take away is to consider what has God said will happen in the future? And how are you preparing for that? From a human perspective, tomorrow is a mystery. But not from God's. Second. Death. Look at verse 8. There it is on the screen. No man has the power over the wind to contain it. So no one has the power over the day of his death. Apparently 90,000 people die every day. That's upwards of 60 per minute. Because death is a certainty. Death is the ultimate infringement on our rights. And if we can't beat it. It would seem that in today's society, we will do whatever we can to ignore it, at least outwardly. In 21st century culture, death is an ugly prospect. And so what do we do? We pursue eternal youth with a vengeance. There's been a lot in the press in the last couple of days on this issue. But despite how hard we try, death is, and I know this may sound incredibly pessimistic and whatever on such a bright Sunday evening. But however hard we try, death's going to visit each of us. There is no avoiding it. And as was said before, the statistics speak for themselves. One out of one people die. According to the searcher, no one has the power to prevent the day of their death. Human life is incredibly fragile. And I quote from the Psalms again Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be remind me that my days are numbered and that my life is fleeing away. My life is no longer than the width of my hand. An entire lifetime is just a moment to you. Human existence is but a breath. We are merely moving shadows And all our busy rushing ends in nothing. Human existence is as frail as a breath. And I'm just quoting Psalm 39. Life is short. Death is certain. And therefore each of us needs to make adequate preparations. Because as we move on to our next riddle, destiny is a choice. Look at verses 12 and 13. I've condensed them there for you on the screen. Let me read it in full. Although a wicked man commits a hundred crimes... And still lives a long time. Because in chapter 7 and verse 15, one of the things that's really frustrated the searcher, and frustrates all of us, it frustrated the psalmist as well, is that the righteous die young sometimes, whereas the wicked live long and prosper. Makes no sense, life is a riddle. I know that it will, go well, it will go well with God-fearing men who are reverent before God, yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow, the searcher writes. Do you know, according to the New Testament, and we know this, we believe this, the day of judgment is an unavoidable reality. It is destined that each person dies only once, yes, But the Bible also then says, and after that comes judgment. And in this world, it might seem, and it often seems, that people don't get what they deserve. But we must never forget from a long-term viewpoint, justice will one day be done. And everyone, everyone will get exactly what they deserve. Judgment will be passed by the ultimate judge. And therefore, the choices we make now will determine our final destination. Destiny, our ultimate destiny is a choice. Some people might think they're getting away with it, but someday everything said done, and thought's going to catch up with well, it. It's a bit like speed cameras, and I can speak here from experience. Do you know why you think you've got away with it? Until the day the letter arrives, and then it confirms you've been caught in camera? You can spend your entire life neglecting the truth about God, the claims about Jesus. But someday, someday, we're going to have to realise that our life choices have all been cut on camera, so to speak. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, It will go well with those who fear God, and we're back to that. But it will not go well with the wicked. So during this time, please realise that destiny is your choice. And finally then, the writer shares that today's a gift. And in verse 15, he commends the enjoyment of life. And this is something that, again, has been coming back to us time and time again during the series. He says, nothing is better under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. And one of the things we've got to recognize that is that every day is a gift from God to be enjoyed, not endured and here the teacher advocates the joy of life. But you'll remember what we said in chapter 2. And this is crucial. That the gifts that God has given us can only be properly enjoyed if they are accepted as God's gifts for use and not misuse. And Jesus expressed similar sentiments in Matthew 6 in the so-called Sermon on the Mount. He said this, don't let your life be burdened with anxiety and worry. And many of us are burdened with anxiety and worry and concern. But instead, Jesus says, enjoy your life, which comes through seeking first the kingdom of God. In other words, walk this path of righteousness and by accepting food and drink and clothing, but accepting them from where? From the hands of your heavenly father. We are owed nothing in this life, but we're free to receive everything we get as a gift and to be grateful. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one or, alternatively, count our many complaints. List them one by one and it will surprise you how negative you can become. And just to sum up verse 8, and to sum up maybe a lot of this. Here's what the searcher says. Life's a riddle. Tomorrow's a mystery. Death's a certainty. Destiny's a choice. Today's a gift. But yeah, life's a riddle. So sometimes it's not going to make a lot of sense. Tomorrow's a mystery, but not to God. So pay attention to his advice about the future. Death's a certainty, so please be prepared. Destiny's a choice, and God will judge. And tomorrow's a gift, so whatever you do, be grateful for it. Give thanks to God for it. Let's pray together before we sing a final song. Father, your your word contains so much wisdom. And even in a couple of chapters, so much to say to us about the importance of wisdom. And also a reflection on how life doesn't always make sense to us, God. And therefore we need your word to bring perspective to our lives. And so I pray for each of us this evening. I pray that you would change our appearance that we would live wisely that we would avoid those temptations we looked at earlier that we would rejoice in the benefits that wisdom provides us. God I give you thanks for the relevance of your word written so long ago but speaking directly into our lives in the here and now. And as we sing our final song A song that does pick up the reality of good times and bad times. I pray, God, that through all of it, we will express our worship to you. And we will sing and say together, blessed be your name. You give, you also take away. But my heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.